You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Good morning again. Isn't it a great way to start Lent on Ash Wednesday, March 6th? And then you get to continue to celebrate with a big old barbecue, guys. I mean, you know, what else, what else can we ask for? That's just really a good way to begin the season. Uh, but listen, would you do this with me? Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Joshua. We're going to look at Joshua today, Joshua, the first chapter. Before I go any further, I want to thank Shannon for really sharing the life of Rahab with us. And what, what a great story that is. And she, she's interacting with us again today a little bit. Uh, but we want to do this. We want to pray for Shannon. I don't know if you know this, but Sunday, last Sunday, she preached and she had walking pneumonia. And so uh, she went to the doctor the next day, and they diagnosed her, and so she's just taking it easy and resting today. So pray for her and Brian and the kids, and just ask God to bless them and heal them, and uh, we know He can. So let's do this. Before we talk a little more about Jesus, uh, let's talk to Him and uh, ask Him just to open our eyes to see His Word. Father, we want to thank You today for Your great and wonderful grace, and Your presence is real to us today. And one of the promises that we hear and we receive out of the book of Joshua is the promise that you will never leave us, you will never, ever forsake us. And we hold on to that promise today. We pray for those that are sick today, Lord Jesus. We pray for speedy recovery in the powerful name of Jesus, Lord. We just ask that you would come and do your work in your name. We pray and we all say together, Amen. Just a reminder, we're in a great series, it's called The Hall of Faith, and you know when you see great stories of courage, which we do hopefully almost every day, or read about historical heroes, do you ever wonder how you would respond in some of the same situations? What would you do under the duress that we see some of these heroes rise up in? We wonder, will I ever be called on to have that same kind of courage? But I know this, I know that our instinct is to play life as safely as possible. To try to shelter, to try to self-protect, avoid risk, we try to stay away from danger. If life were a swimming pool, most of us would try to stay in the shallow end as much as we possibly could. Because we want to keep our feet on the firm ground. Here's what I would say to you. It may not be a dramatic or dangerous, maybe not even a, a physical, physical kind of courage that is required to live today, but it does take emotional and spiritual courage. You know, we're living in one of these times that is full of fear, and we can experience that. Uh, we, we know what that feels like. It's almost like it is palpable. We can feel it. And what we need to know is that God has given us, through His Holy Spirit, He's given us great courage. And this is what I've come to understand. It takes that great courage to live the lives that God has called us to live. Whatever life or purpose that He's given you, whatever vision He has given you for life, it will always require courage. Because anything of any value, especially dealing with kingdom ventures, will always involve risk. There's always going to be some sort of risk. It takes courage uh, for someone to sum up the the, the, the strength at the end of a service to make a decision to follow Jesus. That takes courage. 
And we've seen several do that in the last several weeks. People have come to faith in Jesus Christ. You might be here today and you're one of those people that received Jesus as your Lord and Savior just recently. And we want to encourage you and say, stay strong and be very, very courageous because God's Holy Spirit can do that in our lives. It takes courage to, to publicly declare your followership of Jesus Christ through water baptism. And that's going to be coming up April 21st. We're going to have on Easter Sunday water baptism. If you've never done that, if you've never declared Jesus publicly through water baptism, then I want to invite you to be part of that service and the services that we'll have on Easter. It takes courage to follow Jesus uh, when, you, when you come together or when you're with family, a family that may mock Christianity, that doesn't look kindly on Christianity. It takes courage. It takes courage to be a follower of Jesus. It takes courage for a, for a young lady to break off a relationship with someone that she really likes, but because she knows that there is anger involved and it will harm her future, she breaks that off. It takes courage. It takes a ton of courage. It takes courage for a man to, to lead his family in the ways of Jesus, to pray, to be tender to God's Holy Spirit, to be faithful. It takes courage to do these things today. I think much more than we realize, courage is a quality that we desperately need in the days and the times that we live. I want you to look again at Joshua chapter 1. That's Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to give you a little background before we go much further. We have Moses who has died before the children of Israel enter the promised land. God has promised the children this land. It's been in their uh, their heritage. It's been passed down from generation to generation that you will inherit this land. It's at this point that God chooses Joshua to succeed Moses as their leader. And so Joshua was about 50 years younger than Moses, and he represented that next generation of leaders. This is who we're talking about today. And anytime we talk about Joshua, he's usually associated with courage. He's usually associated with some sort of great strength. That's how we remember him. Now, here's what is interesting to me. He is about ready to leave the wilderness after 40 years of wandering, but it was Joshua, he was one of those 12 spies that had gone into the same land 40 years prior. Uh, And they came back with a report. Moses sent 12 spies and Joshua was one of those 12. Now 10 of these spies, they come back and they give this report in Numbers chapter 13. Uh, They gave Moses this account. Uh, We went into the land to which you sent us and, and it does flow with milk and honey and here's its fruit. So they brought back some of the, uh, the reward. At least it was kind of like a, Uh, A show. Here's what we can get out of this. And by the way, just so you know, a point of interest when we talk about milk and honey, you go to Israel and you say, Where can the honey be? Most of the time, what that's referring to is date honey. And so uh, you just need to kind of, I like those things. I want to know what they're talking about. What are they, what are they bringing back to Moses? What are they showing the people here? And it goes on, it says, And the people who live there are powerful. This is their, their account. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, giants. That's what they saw, just big people. We don't know if this was actually something they saw or was this their imagination. You know how all that works sometimes? So here we go. The Amaleks lived in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. They live in hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. 
And then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and he said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And then, verse 31, But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are way too strong. They're much stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, the land that we explored devours those living in it. And all people we saw, and all of the people we saw, were of great size. We saw the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Just imagine some of the things that you face today. And you look at the challenges ahead of you, and you might even be seeing yourself as these ten spies saw themselves. Not only did they see giants, but they said, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes, and we look like grasshoppers in our eyes. It's one thing, uh, it's one thing to be mocked or, or made ashamed of from someone else, but when it's happening in your own heart and you're doing it to yourself, that is the enemy of the soul. That we don't look at ourselves and we don't see ourselves like God sees us. So ten spies give a faithless report. Two of the spies, that's Caleb and Joshua, they give a faith-filled report. Both Joshua and Caleb said, God has given us the land. He has surely given it to us. Let's go. Now picture that in your mind. Uh, the, the picture that's being given here is the ten spies are giving a very negative report and Joshua and Caleb are giving this positive report and they're probably looking at each other. The ten spies are looking at Joshua and Caleb and going, what did they see? Or did we see the same thing? Did we see the same thing that they saw? But because of the faithless report and people's hearts were filled with fear, they spent 40 years in the wilderness wandering. Now Joshua is in charge, and the people are going to to get a second chance to take the promised land. And that's where we are. We're right on the threshold in this story of them getting a second chance, that God's redeeming something that went wrong 40 years prior. And that's where we we pick up in Joshua chapter 1. God says to Joshua in verse 2, beginning in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land that I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will be extended from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean in the west... No one will be able to stand against you in all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And here it is. I will never leave you. I will never, ever forsake you. Before I go on, I want to clarify what that statement really means. What that statement really means is this. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. It's very clear. In the Hebrew language, we have... um, ways of saying things that aren't always translated well into English. In this translation where it says, and he will never leave you or forsake you, it should be repeated in English five times. So this in Hebrew is being emphasized. It's like bold print. It's like in italics. It's standing out. And he's saying, remember when you do this, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I think there's some of you right now that you're facing circumstances. You're facing a situation where you need to see in bold print, 
He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That's his promise to his people. And then it goes on just a little further here. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever, wherever it is you go. So God is fulfilling the promise that he had given Abraham centuries before. And Joshua, being a seasoned warrior, he knows the challenges ahead. He's been around. He's learned about these people. He knows their habits. He knows their strengths. He knows their weaknesses. This is why God has called him to lead. And God tells him four different times in this chapter to be strong and very courageous. 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 And I think you have to connect that that command with the assurance and confidence of something we've already read. I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Because he's with us, because he never forsakes us, what can we do? We can be strong and we can be very courageous. You know, they're not at Jericho yet, but, but here's what God is doing. He's preparing them for what is about to happen. And, and this is what God does. God is preparing us now for what will be required later. You see, sometimes we can get lost in the moments. We can get lost in the, in the, the haze of the present confusion or circumstance or difficulty, and we forget that God has a purpose for us in that time. And typically what God is doing is He's preparing you for something else. He knows something else is coming. He has your steps ordered. He knows the details of your life. And so He's seeing what you're going through and He wants you to remember. He wants to remind you that what you're going through right now is not being wasted on Him. What you're going through right now, He's using to prepare you for later. He has this happening to us. I don't know if that's happened to you before that that you can look back and you can see what, what you went through years ago or remember a message that God had given you. It was no accident. And you see and you still hear it like it's just like yesterday. Well, he was preparing you then for what you would experience later. You see, whether you knew it or not or realized it, it's happening right now. So whatever you are being put into, and sometimes it feels like we're being dumped into something, whatever that might be, God is using that to prepare you. You know, this next few days, you're going to be called upon to be a person of courage. I can guarantee that. I don't know how it's going to come out or manifest itself in your life, but it will. Typically, it will in relationships. It will in very you know, difficult circumstances, you're going to be called on to be a person of courage. And that's the nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what God is doing right now is He's giving you this encouragement out of His Word as a foundation for you, as a, as, as a word of confidence for you that whatever happens in the next few days or the next few weeks, you can be a person of courage because courage will be required. Whatever that might look like, whatever that looks like in your life, 
This will be about going against your fears. This will be about taking a risk that God has a message for you now because He knows what is coming later. So I want some of you to just remember today. Some of you are going to remember today more than others based on your circumstances, what you're going through. But I want you to remember this day as a day that God spoke to you and said, be very strong, be very courageous. I will be with you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Know this is true for you today. What would happen if we were able to sit down and read our life story from beginning to end? I think we would clearly see that God prepares us ahead of time for the challenges that we experience in the future. So God gives Joshua, he gives him a heads up here. That's what I love about this story. God gives him a heads up before they actually get to Jericho. And God says again and again, be strong and very courageous. Now they're going to go face something that they've never faced before. They're going to face this incredibly fortified city. It's probably about eight acres in the heart of the city. And, and it has been there. It's an ancient city. It's a passway or a byway city. There's a lot of commerce that takes place in this city. Always has been that way. It, all, it is that way today. It's uh, one of the largest cities that is below sea level. And what it is, it's, it's the gateway before you ascend to Jerusalem. And you wonder why when you're reading the Gospels, Jesus was there in Jericho. He was passing by. He met Bartimaeus there. He met Zacchaeus there. He met all these other people in Jericho. Why? Because it's the last place that you stop, you rest, you look up to Jerusalem, and you head up. The psalmist, David, writes quite a bit about that. And we went up to Zion. And and he's getting that picture, that view, from down here around Jericho. So, So this is a hustle bustle place. This is a fortified city. And whoever actually controls Jericho, that place, controls that whole Jordan Valley. So this is, a, this is an important place. To say that the city was intimidating would be a huge understatement. Uh, the, they had two sets of walls. The outer walls were about six feet wide. The inner walls were about 12 feet wide. Uh, there's comments that say that, that you could do chariot races on top of the walls of Jericho. So this is by no means a small city. This is a large fortified city. So they come up against this wall, and what they can do is is something they're they're kicking around in their own head. You can imagine that Joshua, being a man of war, uh, being a strategic leader, he's already thinking about, now how are we going to get through this? I mean, this is what we're supposed to do. This is the first place we're supposed to go. How are we going to do this? They can't go around it. They can't go over it. Now, now just take a moment and identify what might be those walls in your life that you're looking at right now and say, man, I can't get around this. I can't get over it. I can't go under it. But they're standing right in front of me. Maybe, maybe jot that down. Maybe, maybe say to yourself or write on a piece of paper, this is the wall that I face that's intimidating today. And give that to the Lord. And say, Lord, I need a miracle. I need a breakthrough. Here's my wall. I need you to get me through this. Is there a challenge or a situation that seems impossible for you? Maybe it's been health news or relationship or finances. You just can't get over the wall. Now, look at chapter 6, if you would. Just flip forward a little bit. Before the battle begins, 
Here's what God says to Joshua, and I want you to know how God speaks to Joshua here. In verse 2 of Joshua 6, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, that's important, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Now, look at God's grammar here. I have delivered Jericho into your hands. (laughs) Well, not really. It hasn't happened yet. I'm sure Joshua is thinking, has God got this turned around a little bit? What's happening? Why, why is he saying it this way? What's going on? It hasn't really happened. I'm on this side of the wall, and I need to be on the other side of the wall. We're, we're over here, and we need to be over there. But God said, I have delivered this city to you. So what's going on here? I think God uses a, a past tense verb here as if it's already happened. See, this helps us understand the essence or the heart of faith, and that's this. Courageous faith is speaking of what hasn't happened as if it already has. That is a courageous kind of faith. That is the way that we've been asked to live our lives. This is something that God has promised to Joshua and to the children of Israel. His word is even more sure than the ground that you're sitting or standing on right now, that God promised this land 14 times in this narrative. So God keeps repeating this. And I don't think it's necessarily for his sake that he needs to hear himself say it. I think it's for our sake. It was for the children of Israel. It was for Joshua that it kept being repeated. God says that the city of Jericho is yours before the battle has even begun. And then... And then they hear God's battle plan. <laughs> this, is a, this, is a, this is a kicker right here. I mean, they hear the battle plan, and the battle plan's in verses 3 through 5. It says, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast, of trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse, the army will go up, everyone straight in. Yikes! That is the weirdest battle plan I've ever heard. I mean, I'm sure God is looking at Joshua, Joshua speaking to God, and Joshua saying, don't you know who you're talking to? I mean, I don't know this kind of stuff. I don't know the language you're giving me right now. I know battle language. I know how to fight. I know the strategies that you would employ to strategically take this place. God, are you sure this isn't the conventional way battles are won? Here's this gifted, seasoned general, lots of experience, and and he hears God's plan, and I'm sure he's wondering... This isn't what I really had in mind, God. I'm sure Joshua had his own ideas about how this was going to go down, but, but I am also sure that in all of this, none of the plans that, that, that he had drawn up included the phrase, marching band. I mean, I, I'm, not, I, I'm pretty sure that he wasn't thinking that we're going to put a marching band together. You know, we want the musicians to lead this one. And I'm sure the musicians are thinking, oh, Lord, are you kidding me? 
I'm not going up there, you know. I mean, I'm the guy who plays behind or after. Before and after is good, but during, I'm not, I'm not that, I don't play the trumpet that well. But this is exactly what God's saying. He's saying, I want this to happen. That's not what the war general had in mind. Now, I know this. I know this is true about my life, and it's probably true about your life, is that all of us have certain gifts, God has given those gifts to you to be used in a way that glorifies Him. But I know there are times that God says, I want you to submit those gifts to me. I have another way. See, what what God knows about us is our strengths can also be our weaknesses. That there are certain gifts that you depend on, you rely on. In fact, you might even use some of those gifts to survive. And God says, I want this to be a standalone gig right here. I, I don't want your gifts to be glorified. I want God to be glorified. And I tell you, this is the most uncomfortable places I've been in life. Where God says to someone who wants to charge ahead, stand still. God says to someone who wants to speak, be silent. God says to someone who wants to go into battle, he says, just retreat for a moment. And you know what that feels like? It it feels awkward, it feels uncomfortable, and it even feels scary. And and I think this is why God had repeated that phrase over and over to Joshua and to the children of Israel, be strong and very courageous. Because today, I'm not using your gifts. Today, I'm setting aside your gifts because I have something else I want to get done. God is saying, I want people through all time in history to remember this. That God wants His greatness to be shown here. You know, I would be thinking if I were Joshua, God, do you, do you have someone on the inside? You know? Oh yeah, there is. There's a prostitute, Rahab. So God, let me get this straight. We have a prostitute and we have a marching band. That's what we got. And we're going to do what? We're going to walk around this and play our music. It's kind of like the 60s, you know? The, just go and play music and walk around. See, what God does here is he, he sets this whole thing up where it seems like all the odds are against him and his people. It's all set up. He, he's done this before. And he's done it since. Gideon, you got too many guys. Just trim the army down. What? Are you crazy? See, God might might be doing some things in your life that just are counterintuitive. They don't even make sense to you. And you're thinking to yourself, I should be ramping this up, and God's telling me to ramp it down. I should be really engaging my gifts right now, and God's saying, just put a hold on it right now. Just be still and know that I am God. Just be still. See, God seems to stack the deck against him. Why? Uh, again, to demonstrate his power and his strength. Uh, I grew up in Los Angeles, and I remember uh, there was a, a TV evangelist, a lot of them back then, but there was one guy that I always remembered, and I remembered him not just because he wore a white suit tuxedo and slicked his hair back. I remember him because every time he finished praying or praying for someone, he said this, and remember, God did it. 
And that phrase just stuck with me. And remember, God did it. So in your life and the accomplishments that you've experienced, the breakthroughs that have happened for you, when you look back, are you quick to say, and remember, God did it. Well, this is going to be one of those times that the children of Israel are going to look back on this as we are today and say, hey, remember, God did it. There are things he's doing in your life right now, and he's saying, I want you to remember, God did it. You know, I wonder in the situation if Joshua thought he was either being very courageous or very stupid. Because in the moment, sometimes it's hard to know the difference. Am I doing what I think I'm supposed to be doing here? Well, here's how you know. If you're moving ahead and it's counterintuitive to you and it's awkward to you, but it's based on the promises of God, you're being courageous <laughs> because it says here that He is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Now, I do know there have been times in my life that I was very stupid and not courageous. But others thought, well, that's pretty courageous. And I thought to myself, no, that was pretty stupid because I didn't have the assurance and I didn't wait for the assurance of God to go before me to come behind me and to be with me when God is with you and he's asking you to do something that is so counterintuitive to who you are and your gifts that is courage Joshua had the people did, they, they did what God told them to do and everything happened the way, exactly the way that God said it would happen. What takes place is the city collapses. And they take this city because they went out on God's word. And whenever you go out in God's word, there will always be victory. Now here's something good for us to be reminded of, to remember, and that is this. Courage is not the absence of fear, but moving forward in spite of fear. You know, sometimes we think the, of a, a courageous person as someone who just isn't afraid. Um, and I really do believe that's the furthest thing from the truth. I, I think courage is really simply this. I know that God has told me to do this. I know that His Word is powerful. His Word is yea and amen. And I'm going to defer and depend on His Word, but I'm scared to death. I know those are defining moments in my life. When I've lived that way, those are defining moments. When I thought, man, I am scared. I am shaking in my boots. My palms are sweating. I can't hardly put a sentence together. I don't know what's going on. I'm trembling. But God said to do it, and I'm going to take the steps that he told me to take. And when I do, there's victory in Jesus' name. And you can say this about those moments. Remember, God did it. Because you were shaken in your boots. You were scared to death. Courage is believing and trusting in God's voice over and more than the voice of fear. Fear is always going to be speaking to you. You, you know that. Fear is always, Are you giving fear a platform? Are you giving fear an audience? Are you giving fear a megaphone? Or are you listening more to the voice of God? 
Because the voice of God, when you lean in and listen, is very clear. You know, experts tell us that the number one way we deal with fear is through avoidance, not courage. Avoid challenges, avoid the challenges of relationship or finances or whatever it might be. Uh, When help is needed or called on from you or from a community, do we avoid stepping up? Are we waiting for someone else to do it? When God puts something in front of you, are you looking around to see if anyone else is going to pick up the pick up the flagpole, as it were? Or do you step in and say, "No, I'm going to do this." <laughs> you know, I was talking to some of our young leaders. It was three or four weeks ago, and they were in my office, and we were having a mentoring time—a time just where we were sharing story. And um, I think one of them asked, how, how do we know, how will we know when we're really maturing? <laughs> I said, well, I can think of two things that would apply to you guys in this room. One is, how are you respecting and caring for the people around you? These guys happen to be some men. And I said, how do you respect and care for women and girls in your life? Are, are, do you respect? <laughs> Here's the second thing. Surprised and probably would surprise you. In this office, we have a Keurig coffee pot. Man, it's always empty. No one puts water in it. No one fills it up. Well, I'll use it. They're taking the water out of it, but they're not putting the water back in it. And I looked at him and I said, in the second way that I'll know you're maturing is when you put water in the coffee pot. <laughs> Isn't that true? You, you tell your kids that. Well, you took it. Why don't you put it back? One of the ways that we know that we're maturing in the eyes of the Lord and the people around us is when we're taking something but we're giving it back. See, I go in all the time. I told Annette this. I talked to her about this for five years because she heads the interns, and I'm looking, why doesn't anyone put water back in this thing? (laughs) Because everyone thinks someone else is going to do it. The reality is God is waiting for you to do it. Someone's got to step up and fill the water. And I think God might be asking some of you to do the same thing. Step up and fill the water. You're taking water, put water back in. I know one place that can happen, with our kids. We need help there. We need help with our children. We want people to step up and say, man, I want to love these kids. I want to be part of their life. How can I help them? How can I help fill their water pot? How can I help fill their life? It's huge. It's huge. So, how do you respect the people around you? How do you think of them? How do you treat them? And do you fill the water pot up? Just remember those two things. Just remember those two things. And you can hear it here. What did my pastor tell me? He just told me to fill up the water. When courage is called for, we, we just tend to avoid it. And what we see with Joshua is courage is doing what God has called you to do even when you are afraid. Forty years prior, the people did not take the promised land. Why? Because they were afraid. 
the first time they said, there are giants and we are like grasshoppers. They will crush us. I don't know who told them that, but they listened to a lie. The second time, they have courage, they have strength. What happened? I think they went from focusing on their smallness to focusing on God's bigness. That's what I think happened. I don't think any of the circumstances really changed that much. In fact, they might have even grown in that area of Jericho and and the land of Canaan. I think perspective changed here. I think what they did is they said, we can't focus on our smallness. We need to focus on God's bigness. So the question will always be, what are you focusing on? You have control of that. That is a choice you make. Are you focusing on your smallness or are you focusing on God's bigness? Hey, you know when you pick up a a set of binoculars, you have a choice in which end you look at through? You you do know that, don't you? But I think some of us are, are picking up the binoculars and we're thinking, wow, that's a long way away. I don't, I don't think I could do this. But when you turn the binoculars around, <laughs> same thing. You're looking at the same thing. But your perspective just changed. I can do this. God can fill me with his courage. I can do this. This is absolutely life-changing for all of us in this room. You take your eyes off your smallness and you put it on God's bigness. This great courage takes place when you stop looking at who you are and looking more at who God is. The question is not how big am I, but how big is God? See, we need and continue to need prayer for all of us and for the generations that follow us, that their eyes would not be focused on their smallness because it's easy to get lost in this world. It's easy to be lonely. It's easy to be isolated. It's easy to think that you're the only one going through what you're going through and that you're focused on your smallness and God says, don't do that. That will always lead you down a dark path. God's saying and he's challenging you and the generations that follow to look at his bigness and remember the promise. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. There's something God wants you to know. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we, I do, I ask for your forgiveness in areas of my life, the challenges that are in front of me where I have focused on my, my smallness and not your bigness. I've looked at the situation through the wrong end of the glasses. And so, Lord, I just pray that today you would give me the courage, give us the courage we need to live the life that you called us to live. It takes your courage to do this. And so we declare and we state today 
that we will focus on your bigness and remember God did it. Change our hearts to see you. Change our minds to focus on you. It's in your great name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.